0: Hey everybody, welcome to episode 91 of Literary Disco, George and Lumberjanes. Following up on our last episode, today is more discussion that we recorded with New York Public Library expert book recommender Gwen, who did her job fantastically and recommended two middle grade books for us to read, George by Alex Gino and the graphic novel Lumberjanes by Noelle Stevenson and Grace Ellis. I am actor and filmmaker Ryder Strong, and joining me in a moment are novelist and critic Todd Goldberg and essayist and radio personality julia pistel here's julia
1: we obviously knowing we had gwen here today she recommended some books for us uh and actually this is why you contacted us in the first place is you listened to our animorphs episode uh you responded to our passionate feelings about it and you said i think i (laughs) could and should recommend some other books for you guys
2: uh, <laughs> All three of you have such great looks on your faces right now. <laughs> Just the mention of the word animorphs, animorphs like sends you into the spiral uh, of depression. I actually, I mean, I you think... know,
0: animorphs was a proud moment for me. It was the first time I was the most positive one on the show. And so <laughs> I hold <felt> that episode <laughs> up as, as, the, as the
2: time that it was... it's true. You were, you championed that yeah.
1: yeah. Well, we also I don't remember if we said this, but we are pretty sure that we got trolled by our friend. Breeze class who all went in and voted for Animorphs. So we well, blame her. It,
3: it was either that or the uh the, the guidebook to word perfect. So <laughs> <you> know, <laughs> between the two, I think reading the animorphs is probably not so bad.
1: So Gwen, can you tell us about um, your process of why you picked these books for us? And yeah, and then we can pick one and start talking about it.
2: Sure. Um so Right. So it was sort of based on Animorphs. Um, it was also kind of based on the idea that talking about middle grade fiction could be fun. Because mm-hmm. um, middle grade fiction, we probably will get into this later, but younger than YA, it can be a pretty diverse range of books. Um, but it's kind of a thing that most adult readers ignore and don't know anything about. I certainly didn't. Um, I was a young adult librarian in another public library in Maryland before I took this job um, part time. And I was... and. I just learned so much about this age of reader and the kinds of books that they're reading and how formative it is. And truthfully, some of it was also based on what I used to read as a kid that age, which was complete <laughs> garbage. Like, complete garbage.
1: Like, <laughs> even in our
2: library, non judgmental <laughs> world, whatever, like, it was really terrible.
1: Gwen's letting loose.
2: Like, Sweet Valley High style, or like. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Well, so before Sweet Valley High, there was Sweet Valley Twins, which that's the one that's kind of, like, more appropriate for this age range, which was even worse than Sweet Valley High.
1: Yeah.
3: It it was the precursor to Sweet Valley High, or they they made it after? Well, I think
1: Sweet Valley High came first. I'm pretty sure. Oh, did it? I didn't know that. But it... Uh, I read so much Sweet Valley Twins. Um, I was such a dork that Sweet Valley High was, like, too bad for me. Like, they were too slutty. Oh, God. Uh, There you go with your slut shaming again, Julia. (laughs) (laughs) That Jessica Wakefield. No, I mean, and I think this is something that we'll talk about, and I also mention on Animorphs, is that uh, kids in the middle grade zone read... I I think, I mean, this is just based on my own life and my friends, but like aspirationally age wise. Mm. So the characters are usually much young, older than the actual kids who are reading them. So uh, when I was like eight or so, I was reading Sweet Valley Twins and they were 11 or 12. So I read a lot of those. So I'm very well versed in those. And those were more about like editing the school newspaper and less about driving around in a hot convertible.
3: Are they cons- Are they considered canon though?
1: Oh yeah. Yeah, I would say
2: so. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but I was I laughed because there was there was some other episode you guys did where you talked about what you read I guess it was YA not middle grade but like and you were like reading like Steinbeck and Hemingway and all this yeah. stuff when you were like fourteen. Oh my god. I was like reading Daniel Steele novels and Sweet Valley High. Like that's seriously what I was reading.
0: <laughs> yeah, I mean I, I Well the you guys, garbage that I read was all horror. So it was like Dean Koontz yeah. and like but it was always, you know, dark and twisted but other outside of horror, I, I I pretty much started reading adult books really early, and I'm, I, but I do remember some like in this. I didn't realize that there's a this. So uh, I'm assuming George is is the book that you recommended for us by Alex Gino, and that is what is the category you called? It middle age middle middle grade, middle grade. yeah middle grade. Oh,
2: middle grade. So and it's it's. Tricky because middle grade isn't like generally it's thought of as like between ages seven and 12, and that's obviously a really big range. Oh, so, God. a lot of it is very dependent on the kind of kid that you have and yeah. you know, what you sort of feel is appropriate for them. Um, but yeah, yeah,
1: writer, will... don't you remember me screaming this at you during Animorphs because I remember this because you, uh, yeah, because Animorphs is not like it's not in the category of the Hunger Games, this right. the same kid wouldn't read the that book, right. So it's not YA. Yeah, I... I, well, I feel when, like I always have this problem I feel like you yelled taste. at
0: me during Winnie the Pooh, too, because I was like, Winnie the Pooh is stupid. And you're like, because it's for yes. three-year-olds, you idiot. And like, <laughs> it, yeah, that, <laughs> I, you know, I think that that's true. Like, I, I definitely have an age blindness when it comes to literature, <laughs> which is for better or worse, you know. I, I would say for better, but you can tell me it's for worse. But Yeah.
1: <laughs> well I'm, Gwen, uh, before we start talking about yeah
2: you go go ahead oh no i was just gonna say maybe maybe that's a good place to start is like could you could you tell what age this was for like what age a kid was supposed to be reading this
0: it felt like yeah so i mean based on the ya books we've read it did feel slightly younger than anamorphs but about probably this probably the same age but a little it, it you know the the we read, read a book by rebecca stead um uh i'm tra- blanking on the name yeah um, when you, when reach, you me. reach me which oh. i love yeah. and that was middle grade too that felt like the that same, same middle as this grade? yeah that felt
1: yeah i remember that was middle yeah
0: because we had the whole that was our first ya yeah. book and i remember we kind of had to amend it and say like well it's not quite ya it does seem a little younger mm-hmm. um and th- this yeah i put this in that that sort of category um Although, mm-hmm. When You Remember Me had a much more complicated plot, so maybe this is even younger. Or When You Reach Me is a more complicated plot. This plot was very simple, you know? I mean, it's really kind of like a right. slice of life, you know, school play, but obviously it has bigger ramifications. But as far as actual, like, story for a kid, it's pretty straightforward, you know?
3: Well, and we should we should talk about the, the serious ramifications of the story. So the novel George uh, by Alex Gino. Is it Gino? Is that how you pronounce his last name? Gwen? I think Gina? so, yeah is about a child named george who is born a boy and identifies as a girl and is in fourth grade Mm -hmm. is that what it is yep Yep. 10 years old yeah has 10 years old and has decided that george wants to be uh, a she and is trying out for a role in charlotte's web and dealing with her identity issues at the time and basically she decides she wants to be charlotte in charlotte's web and and that sets forth the revelation that uh george is no longer a he that she is a she um and it's told in, in a very straightforward middle grade voice that like I, I, in dealing with such a lofty issue that you know We have to have reality shows about it to to deal with it in such a straightforward way in a, you know, a hundred page uh, middle grade novel um, with, you know, very clear um, antagonists and protagonists and all that stuff. Like, I kept thinking, well, it's not this cut and dry. It's not it's not ever going to be this simple for for George to become uh, Melissa at the end of the book. Um, But like I this this book has got to be controversial. Is it controversial? Is this, is this one of those books that in the world that we don't know about parents are going crazy about?
2: Yeah, I think so. It's that and that to go back to Julia's question earlier, that was part of why I picked it is that this is like taking the middle grade world by storm a little bit cuz there's a lot of sort of hand-wringing about oh kids are too young to understand this and whatever and the author um I think spent a very long time writing this book, conceiving of this book, trying to figure out um sort of what the right moment was for this book and yeah so it's it's controversial
0: the right moment is Hmm. now i mean this i feel like this year just the amount of news and Mm -hmm. you know transgender issues uh this book but it but the funny thing about that i could totally tell that this book was, was written 10 years ago because like mario kart is the video game they play and, uh, and there's also just like, I, there was something else early on. I was like, there is no way this, oh, uh, magazines like Omega's major plot right. point is that George collects <laughs> magazines. And I was like, there's no way a 10 a year old in 2015 has access to magazines. They would be online. Do you know what I mean? It was a really weird moment. I was like, why is there mag-? Right. And then when I read, um, um, I looked up the author and when I read that they had been working on it since you know, two thousand and three or something. I was like, okay, that makes total sense. But in a good way. I mean I I'm I'm glad that the, the book still feels kind of timeless. It doesn't but it was funny to recognize
3: things from like my childhood more than I would say a contemporary ten year old. You wouldn't have to go through that's the whole thing about being a kid now, is you don't have to steal stuff from seven eleven. You can just find it on the internet in far more vivid right. and uh, you right. know, bizarre flavors, which is Strange. whatever
0: it didn't matter if this book has a timeless quality to it it was fine like and in fact it, it was probably less distracting than if they were texting right. Facebooking, and doing stuff like way more that i would that would bring in so many issues that i think would make it less universal i think the fact that it, it is in this sort of timeless middle grade space where you know you're doing everyone reads charlotte's web and does school plays which is kind of all that matters in terms of so here's
3: here's here's Um, my question for you gwen though so okay so this is a book that's middle grade so that's if if a a parent came in looking for a middle grade book for their kid that kid could be somewhere between 7 and 11 basically Mm
2: -hmm. 12 yeah 11
3: 12 12 okay so at what point are you sort of making judgments are you saying well i have this fascinating book about transgender children would your son or daughter be interested in that? Like, are you saying that to someone with a 7-year-old? Or are you saying that to someone with an 11-year-old?
2: Um, you know, it's interesting. The fact that you're you're presenting it as the parent talking means that I probably would... Right. I would feel comfortable saying, if, if it's a the person saying, like, my 7-year-old's super advanced and really emotionally mature and whatever, I would say, like, there's this book about a transgender kid. What do you think? Um, for some other kids who aren't quite as emotionally mature, maybe not, but... I think the question more comes when you're trying to do so. So what you're talking about is reader's advisory, right? Where you're trying to advise a reader about Mm -hmm. what they want is when the parents are not around. Um, And that, and that, I mean, like in my own childhood, that was a really big thing. My parents didn't police what I read. They had no idea what I was reading. And that was wonderful. Like it was very freeing. Um, But librarians in many places have gotten in a lot of trouble for recommending books that parents then freak out about later. Um, So, yeah, it's a, it's a question,
1: but uh, yeah, I totally agree with that. But I strongly feel we're ignoring the people who really should read it. It's not the trans kids; it's all the rest of the kids that you know. Mm-hmm. It's the all the rest of the kids, or the kids who have never heard of this, or whatever. So, you know, they're not going to be. That's the power of books is empathy more than like direct identification. So, you know, and I don't think. I am obviously optimistic, but I don't think there are as many towns where this would get a kid in humongous trouble as there are that maybe just have towns where people aren't sure or are questioning. Mm. And that's exactly who this is for.
3: But, I mean, isn't that, though, then the question, I mean, just as a book, I think, of course, absolutely, it's doing important things and it's saying important things and it's told in such a way that it, it doesn't make it. More important than anything else in this person's life in terms of who what their identity is, but the question becomes okay, if a kid goes into a library and is eight years old and Gwen recommends a book to that child and takes it home to a conservative Christian home or you know some homophobic home or some transgender Phobic home or whatever it is and the parents lose their mind You know what role? does the public librarian play in that when it comes to other people's morals and ethics? I mean I think it's such a bizarre realm because you're dealing with kids. But it's with, always with been kids. an issue, right? Right.
0: But I mean that's always been an issue because like there's always gonna be parents who freak out about a librarian recommending anything. Uh, you know, Stephen King or what, right. Harry Potter. Yeah, yeah exactly. Potter. Remember For there sure. was like backlash against Harry Potter. Yeah. Right. So I feel like you kinda can't worry about it. I mean, you have to obviously to a certain extent, but I don't but, know. Like, I don't think that that's that. I don't think that that problem is necessarily unique to this book. Do you know what I mean? Like, I feel like hopefully this book will just be out there and on shelves in schools and in libraries, and kids will stumble upon them when they need it or hear about it when it's something that appeals to them or through the sort of whatever communication kids find out about books, you know, how whether that's a librarian or a teacher or a principal you know, I mean, and I love in the in the book, they have that moment when the when George sees uh, an LGBT sticker in their princ- in her principal's office. And it becomes this like beacon of hope. You know, the principal has like all these signs and different organizations that like and stickers and stuff on her wall. And just one of them is like this light beam to George and i just think that this book itself could function in a similar way you know like this is one of those books you just kind of want around in, in schools because it's probably going to like go missed by most people like most kids are probably going to want to read things that you know are mysteries or you know more like outland animorph style books or whatever like that are bigger plots but for some kids, this is going to be—it's it, going to be the book. <laughs>
3: it's gonna be, yeah, yeah, it's going to be the book that that kid who feels this way finds. You know, right. I, that's—I mean, isn't that the, the great thing about about a book like this? Is mm-hmm. that it's going mm-hmm. it, to—it's going to be salacious for the eleven-year-old who you know, in in the middle of nowhere, who reads it and can't believe these things exist. That people right. aren't—you know—exactly what they seem to be. But then. It's going to be that 11-year-old who feels this way, who's going to find out that they're not alone in the world. I yeah. mean, that's, what a great and powerful gift that is. But still, I mean, we we live in a Pollyanna world, the four of us, because, you know, we're, uh, not that I know your political beliefs, Gwen, but I'm assuming hyper-liberals who, <laughs> who already believe in these things. That's pretty safe. <laughs> who already believe in these things. But, you know, if, if Gwen sends home this book to some eight-year-old in uh, Paducah, uh, who's an arch-conservative world, it's not just going to be that someone's going to go complain about Gwen at home. They're going to complain about her on the internet. They're going to complain about her in the local paper. You know, it's a thing, you know? They're going to complain about her to her boss. Yeah.
2: That happened to to me at my last job. Really? Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah. I I sent home a kid with – I sent a kid home with – Oh. Sorry, and the story's not as good because I don't remember what book it was but it was something that had you know a little bit of a baseline of sex in it and it wasn't like a sexy book it was a YA book um but there was some risque stuff in it um and the parent came back and did speak to my supervisor about the fact that I had recommended this book to her kid and whether it was appropriate and whatever and the answer that librarians often give is if you're worried about this you should read the books before you let your kids read them like if you want to make sure that your kids are only absorbing the lessons that you're going to teach them, then you need to be the one to control mm-hmm. what they're reading. Um, and I think I think that's fair. I certainly hope that George falls into the hands of a kid who really needs yeah. it someday. And if I was the librarian who had to, like, get fired or go to jail or whatever because I gave that to some transgender kid who, like, felt really alone and sad in the world, I would feel okay about that. Yeah,
1: but, uh, yeah I yeah. totally agree with that. But I strongly feel we're ignoring the people who really should read it— who, it's not the trans kids. It's, no, it's all the, the rest of the kids. That, you know, it's right. the, mm-hmm. all the rest of the kids or the yeah. kids who have never heard of this or whatever. So, you know, they're not going to be... That's The power of books is empathy more than, like, direct identification. So, you know... And I don't think... I am obviously optimistic, but I don't think there are as many towns where this would get... A kid in humongous trouble, as there are that maybe just have towns where people aren't sure or are questioning, and that's exactly. You ever been to Alabama? (laughs) Well, I wouldn't generalize about a whole state (laughs) in on our nationally (laughs) renowned podcast. But the other thing is, and I I wonder if this is still true. But uh,
3: where does does Kim Davis live? What city is where? Where is that? All All right, we're not talking about her.
1: Stop. So the
2: other thing if is... You, uh, if you really want to blow your mind, check yes. out the list of the American Library Association's list of most frequently banned and challenged books um, and read a little bit about some of the cases that have come up about Harry Potter and about things that we think of as totally innocuous. Like, yeah, it'll it'll rock your world in a very negative way. <laughs> so... The, I hate to say it. The last thing
1: I want to say, though, about uh, librarians and their importance, because teachers no longer have this freedom is librarians have the power to like encourage a secret life which is what you know parents hate about them you know so if i were in a place where i thought a kid would get killed for reading this book you know you have the power to say hey read it here in the library don't check it out you know stay here
2: right
1: this is a this that's is a, a place point, where you yeah. can yeah, that's read lovely. it yeah. and That is what, to me, like, that's what librarians are for. It's like, hey, read this. No one else is going to give this to you. I'm here to help you, and we will never speak of this again. And, you know, how else are kids going to get that? I never
2: thought about it like that. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, that's a really good point. I never thought about it that way.
3: But generally, um, Julia, you don't want to say to children that aren't your own, this is just a secret between us. Don't tell anyone. (laughs) (laughs) Just generally
1: well yeah yeah that's true i didn't mean between us but i think the idea of having (laughs) i think the idea of having a private intellectual life for a child is very important and i Mm -hmm. wouldn't want to deny kids that
3: well and i know i've mentioned this on the show i think it was our first episode um about you know my formative experience at a library is that i had a librarian tell me i couldn't check out books and so i stole them you know and and that was like, that was the only time, really, in my life where, I mean, this is a long time ago, Gwen. This was like 1977. So uh,
2: it kills me though. When I first heard you say that, I was like, "No, how can this but, be?" But you know,
3: I, I think that's the interesting role that that librarians play and that libraries play, which is it's got to be a safe place to to let ideas flow, where the librarian is not the policeman um, or policewoman who says yes or no, you know, that, and just like you said, you know, that the parents, Mm -hmm. if the parents are concerned, then they need to be the ones who are reading the books first. Um, But so let me ask just one more question about George, and then we can move on to to the other book. Um, So in terms of sort of the emotional um, readiness of a kid to read stuff like this, like, like, I, I think 10 seems rational and normal. I think seven seems like when i was seven i was eating dirt and throwing rocks at robbie dalton um <laughs> like so I'm, I'm sort of interested in this sort of uh area between seven and twelve like how do you do are the authors also saying hey this book is mostly for seven-year-olds or are they saying this book is mostly for 12 year olds is there some sort of guideline that goes out there
2: i don't think so i think that i mean i think to some extent the author's creative process just kind of is what it is like they write the book that they want to write and then leave it to the reader to decide when you're ready for it um yeah i think that's what i would say i don't know cuz it is it is like a crazy age and it's a crazy age range um mm-hmm. but i i just think every kid is so different you know like and you really kind of have to just know your audience right and know what kid is ready for it and I feel like as an author I don't know that you can really be held responsible for that. I don't know. You you might have a better answer to this than I do. Like what would you feel like if if you know there was a 12-year-old who was reading your books what do you what do you think that would do to them?
3: <laughs> yeah, well, <laughs> you know, it it used to be um when I was younger, I used to be like, you know, fuck the world, everyone should read all the books and then I think, you know, I, I don't I don't think a 10-year-old should read my last book. I don't, (laughs) you know, I I don't, I don't think that's probably appropriate for a 10 year old. I think it probably is for a 12 year old or a 13 year old. Um, But by the same token, when I was 10 and 11, I was reading those kinds of books. And it didn't negatively affect me. But I don't know, I, I, it's hard to say. Um, There's just some things that I don't think a 10 year old is ready for in a lot of adult fiction. Um, but it doesn't mean they can't read it and not understand it and then begin to ask questions about it. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. I guess it... But I, see, I don't think,
0: like, anything in this book is is scary or no. overwhelming or that weird. Like, this book is so, such a, just a nice slice of life. Like, I remember, I was pretty young, and I read a book, and I'm going to not remember the author's name, but if, do you guys ever remember a book called Skinny Bones? Anybody read this? Anybody hear no. read this? It was like it was like a Wyatt. What was it called? Skates. Skitty Bones. It was Skitty it was Bones. about a kid who like <laughs> plays baseball and he's it's, it's just a, I don't know it, was, it remind this book reminded me of it and kind of made, made a life it was like my favorite book when I was seven or eight and it's just a book about like a kid who lives his normal everyday life and he writes like it, it's from his point of view and he's sort of like. A loser at school or whatever but he ends up the, the end of the book the big twist is that he wins some contest and ends up in a commercial like and the book starts with him entering this essay contest to like be in a commercial and you know then it's just like the slice of life book and i was reminded of that book I was you know this this book is really simple um mm-hmm. the biggest the most powerful thing that this book does it does on the first page which is the pronoun right like you right. just have this pronoun there you know george is a she and then everybody around her keeps saying, "You're a yeah. boy. Hey. You'll grow yeah. up to be a young man," and that that disconnect, that simple distance between what the author and we, by extension, are sort of the world we're living in, which is George's inner world, um, is different than the world, the reality of the other people, and that is that's really complex and and interesting and operating on such a mm-hmm. crazy level but that that's a beautiful level to be operating at and it's actually very very accessible i think to any age mm-hmm. i could totally see a 7 year old feeling that tension and thinking that that tension is interesting but that is the story like that is the whole story is that tension there's not much else to the story right it's just and right. and that 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 tension is incredibly interesting like you keep wanting like when is the when is the the outside world gonna recognize the she that i by the reader and george as my you know main character is feeling like the she is is there and it's just so cool that like an author is able to just use a pronoun and completely rock you know
3: and readers. never explain it Never. Yeah, no like never it just and never question yeah.
0: it you just you you are on board with that narrative you know mm. or that world that construction and that is awesome and that's so effective and 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 the empathy you know i mean like here i am a you know 35 year old man super liberal having read every you know feminist transgender queer theory thing i could get my hands on all my life and still when there were like passages about like the emotional experience of hearing her name, Melissa, like mm-hmm. what she calls herself being spoken aloud and describing it as like these warm tingly to her I was like, I've never thought about it like that. Yeah. Like that must yeah. be such a profound experience. You know, here I was like drawn into an empathetic personal experience that I had thought about theoretically, but I had never really tried to, ex- you know, I would never have experienced that sort of warm, right. weird sensation mm-hmm. that, that she's able to, you know, capture as a narrator or, or as an author. I don't know, it's just, I thought it was so effective for that you know for the empathy factor.
2: totally I yeah. thought about that so much at the end where she I hope this isn't too much of a spoiler but she puts on a skirt mm-hmm. and like as a woman who was born into a woman's body I never really thought about the experience of putting on a skirt and it's like how could these clothes possibly be so important to a kid and then you're like oh right. I never thought about what it really represented before you're right because like I've read all of this adult Theory and whatever about everything—it doesn't matter, Mm -hmm. you know. But like, it was very—it was a very different experience for me as an adult to read this book and kind of experience the emotions that a kid would Mm -hmm. have experienced. I thought it was really crazy,
3: and without the sort of psycho babble that we put on it as adults, like to see it sort of in its purest form as a Mm -hmm. child experiencing Mm -hmm. that sense of freedom—that that is a really liberating thing to see on the page, because you know, the YA book that would be the sequel to this. You know, Melissa, which is what George becomes, is cutting herself and she's fighting (laughs) with her parents, and, you know, there's all sorts of other shit that goes on with it. Yeah, right. She's dying of cancer. She goes to Amsterdam. Then, inexplicably, the (laughs) author comes to America. Shows up. uh...
1: But the thing is, too, like, what I really (laughs) like about this book is how dated I know it's going to feel in 10 years. Mm -hmm. Like, this Mm. reminds me of. books (laughs) when i was so when i was reading this level of book the books that were in the library were like books that were like 10 years old about like black people moving into the neighborhood and i remember like reading them (laughs) but they'd be like it's okay you know like Mm. we're integrated but i remember reading them and being like what this is stupid. <laughs> you know? And I think this that's book awesome. is gonna feel like that. Yeah, Yeah, I think this book is gonna feel well, like that. That's actually because, a good
0: transition to yeah. Lumberjanes. Yes, go ahead. Because I I felt yeah. very because Lumberjanes because the my you know, the only thing about George, obviously it's for a younger audience, but it is an issue book, right? Like it an yeah. a d issue-driven book. It was clearly written with an agenda, and it's well it's well done for that, but you do, you feel the agenda as an as an adult reader. Whereas Lumberjanes, which is the graphic novel that Gwen recommended as a, as a companion is, um, is so much more interesting in its sort of approach to gender dynamics because it's about a group of girls and they all, like, in some way or another confront, I guess, in a roundabout way issues of, you know, femininity or... or they're, they're, they, they, they all kind of can pose a challenge to a, a, a female archetype um, yep. Right. And yet, it's not an issue. It's just it, they're just characters. They're just a bunch of girl campers going on crazy adventures. Um, but there is something to the fact that it's a world entirely populated by girls, and and they are all super interesting and outgoing and like it's not an issue book at all, you know. But but you can't help but be like, well, these are these are not the type of girls I see in most girl centric books.
3: And, it, and it's, it's impossible not to notice also when the mansplaining comes in. And, and you're like, yeah. oh, right, this is the history of the human condition that's happening right here in this graphic novel. Yeah.
1: I, yeah, Gwen, I want to hear why you recommended it. But first I want to come out of the gate and say I love this beyond belief. Like I, This is one of the first books I've ever read that I was like, if I had a daughter and she was reading this, I would be so happy. Because of exactly what yeah. you're describing, Ryder. Because it's representing when when I opened the first page and it was just like girls fighting three-eyed foxes. I was like, good, good. <laughs> We're done. We're good.
0: This is great. And, See, I was so disoriented. And... It took me a while. I was like, what? <laughs> What reality is this? Are the foxes real? Yeah. Are they? What are they doing? <laughs> yeah. They're fighting. They can fight. And I was like, I was so lost. But after like the first <laughs> issue ended, I was like, Oh, I'm totally on board. I'm gonna love every yeah. single one. Yeah. And now I have to buy the next book. I'm so into it.
1: So, yeah, Gwen. Obviously, we're gonna we're gonna talk about this more. But why did you pick this? Um,
2: so. So, yeah, no, sorry, sorry. Like froze up for a second. All I heard was "why did," and then I didn't hear anything. I was like, "Hmm, I think I know how that question ends." Um, So, so I felt like it would. So I had heard a lot about *Lumberjanes*. This was a little bit selfish on my part because I wanted to read it. I hadn't read it yet, um, but I had read *George*. And yeah, and so I felt like it was a good companion. I knew that it was this like feminist graphic novel that was making a huge splash, and I was like, "Oh, it's middle grade. It's about gender issues." It or not about gender issues as it were because it turns out really not to be about them at all um, but it was, it was it just sort of seemed like it went well to me um, and I also knew that you wanted to do another graphic novel so I felt mm-hmm. like maybe that was good yeah, yeah. yeah. It, but yeah it's... I had the same reaction in the beginning I was like are the foxes real? Are they a symbol of something? Like, are they like looking at the patriarchy and it's in the form of foxes? Like, what is this?
3: I'm always go- looking for the patriarchy. Like- constantly. <laughs> so-
1: I, I had the opposite I was just like oh great this is just An adventure it's starting In the middle of an adventure yeah. which mm-hmm. girls Books or books about girls almost Never do it's all almost always like the Transformational like she was shy Whatever or even she was outgoing but She was ordinary I mean I guess that's a really classic Story structure anyway but it Was this book has no apologies About being an adventure story so I just believed there were three eyed foxes And that I'd figure it out later which, which i, I think that's but... right <laughs>
2: yeah no i think that that makes sense well there's there's yeah. like 18 more comics to come or something oh,
3: that's like, excellent yeah
2: you'll you'll be happy for a long time
3: so i i read it on um on my ipad so i'm i'm sort of curious mm. about something so on the ipad it's the pages of the lumberjane field manual and then yep. yeah. it's just the next page you're in the story so it's the same yeah in the hard version yep. okay because i was like oh wait where so it the, the it says chapter one and it's the up all night badge and yeah. you're reading these paragraphs and then it stops on the word start and you're gonna i turn the mm-hmm. page i'm like yeah. oh fuck this something's wrong with my ebook yeah no that's why i, <laughs> yeah, yeah, partly no, why I was so confused there. too because every chapter which i think is what you know
0: individual comic issues start with um and then what we're reading is a collection of i'm assuming four issues right um but yeah, they all start. The chapters start with a different badge being described, but you actually don't need to read that at all. You kind of just yeah. get the idea, and then that badge, whatever the skill set from that badge, plays into the storyline of the sort of adventure of the of the week. And each adventure has usually a mythical, magical moment um, with a you know some sort of creature that they encounter, and they either have to fight or outsmart. Um, I mean, it's really just awesome it's so fun and the characters are
3: so great um and it's funny it's and it's smart and it's beautiful Um, it's
0: so well drawn too like i haven't seen a comic this well drawn in so long like the colors are amazing and every i feel like every page you could just stare at all these little details in the background Mm -hmm. like i just haven't seen a comic especially a kid's comic aimed at this young with this much cool detail and fun little stuff like you know, at one point they, they so the lumberjanes are sort of like an alternate Boy Scout Girl Scout camp environment, I guess, where they get badges, yeah. um, and they have like a pledge, uh, which with uh, explicitly has the yes. the yes I love replaced. the pledge. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it has like a twelve point pledge that they have to recite. You know about being adventurous and daring, and you know whatever, and truthful and compassionate, and then it says. Like the the tenth line down, it says. Then there's a line about God or whatever, and they continue <laughs> the pledge, and it's, it's so like visibly great. scratched it's just, out. Yes. Yeah. Yes, it's just like this needle in yeah. this, the Girl Scout Boy Scout <laughs> bullshit. Uh, I love it, um, but yeah. And what I love too is like in the the third issue when I think it was the third or the fourth issue, actually, it might be right near the end when their camp camp counselor that is sort of always they're running away from they're always getting separated from and having these mystical magical experiences which you assume like you're kind of like could this all be in their head and then at the end like she's brought in she sees the creatures too and you're like oh my god it's real they're all on this actual adventure which is why i have to buy the next book because i'm totally on board it's, well, like, and it's the- like becoming a real indiana jones style thing it's really fun
1: Um, What I really love about this is something that I I read a a piece recently online that was really interesting about the idea of the death of the tomboy as an idea in the culture, because Mm -hmm. gay issues and transgender issues are gaining traction, and at the same time, like, princess and girly culture are bigger than ever, and pop star culture... And, of course, the phrase tomboy is, like, very gendered and kind of offensive all on its own. But, like, what happens to these girls who go through, essentially, what can be either permanent or a phase of just, like, being, like, crazy and random and outdoorsy? And that used to be such a staple of the literature that I read. So I was so excited to see it explode in my face here. It's like, they're too young to be sexual, and it's camp, so it's automatically a temporary experience. And we're not seeing any of that, like, school bullshit. There's no bullies. Like, it's just such a relief to be in a situation where it's, like, five girls who are tomboys or gay or whatever they are. And they're just, like, going about their business. And I thought that was so great. And what I thought this, the tone of this nails better than almost any book I've ever read is this phase that a lot of girls go through where loving where they love like random humor or like awkwardness Mm -hmm. or being really loud and crazy Mm -hmm. in this way that's Mm -hmm. the the language just like kills it here like uh oh well this the weird kind of like solo character ripley you know she just just screams (laughs) random stuff and you know that there are girls out there like that all the time and the fact that she's accepted for that insane behavior is just it's great and it felt so real to me like unlike so many other books where banter plays a large part this banter felt real to me Mm
3: -hmm. there's there's one bit um before they they go on this river adventure where they eventually encounter a sea monster or not a sea monster a river monster Mm -hmm. but there's just this little moment where they're about to go off onto the adventure and um one character says, you know, you can do it. You're going to be fine. And there's a moment where the, the character's standing there and she's she's holding her paddle and she's about to get into the, into the boat. And one character says, you okay? And the other character, just when you think she's going to be like, yes, I'm ready, she says, I changed my mind. I can't do it. I'm not going out on the murder river. Yeah. <laughs> you know what is super cool is, so when they have sort of exclamations about things, um, like yes. in that, the river thing, they, they, instead of saying, holy shit, or, you know, Jesus Christ or whatever, they say things like, holy Mae Jemison. And I'm like, Mae Jemison? <laughs> yeah. Who and the, the Joan Jett.
2: Wasn't there a yeah. Joan Jett yeah. one? Yeah. There was yeah. a
3: Joan Jett one. And so I went and I Googled Mae Jemison, you find out, oh, she was a, an astronaut. And so mm-hmm. it's all these sort of empowered, um, women, mm-hmm. these people that have achieved all these great things that... That they are shouting to instead of the god that they have crossed out in their handbook. The the Joan Jett one was was really yeah. awesome. I can't help um, but assume but that
0: Ripley through. is named after Ripley from Alien too. That was my. Oh, she has gotta be. Yeah. <laughs> Probably. Was, yeah. she has gotta be. Empowered woman action star. Um, but
3: there's there's a the I think there's a, a bunch of cool stuff in here. But I mean there is a message, obviously, but it's just so fun. And snarky and smart that you never feel like it's trying to teach a lesson, even though it clearly is revealing some lessons along the way. Um, but, like, I'm fully invested in the Lumberjanes and ready for the 3D movie, and I need to have a daughter, and yeah. I just want her to be a Lumberjane. <laughs> yeah.
1: Well, I think the message is my favorite feminist message, which is simply, these people exist. You know, Mm -hmm. it's like, these are Mm -hmm. people you don't usually see in this kind of media. So that's great. That's great. I mean, there's, yeah, go ahead, Gwen.
2: Oh, I was just going to say one of the things I think is so cool about this is that the characterization is so good. Like, Mm -hmm. I, that like, they're just leaping off the page when they've said like three words, like, how is it that I can so easily differentiate between all five of them when they've said hardly anything. And I just, I think about so much in fiction out there where you have to really like struggle to remember what the characters names are and what they all sound like, or if they're all sort of written in a very similar way so that you can't tell who's talking. Like you can totally tell who's talking here. Mm -hmm. And I just think that's so, I think it's so
0: beautifully done. Right. And you don't need a laborious backstory either. You don't need to like, Oh, this is the great. kid whose parents got divorced, and this is the kid who's did you know? It's like no, it's just we're on an adventure. We're dealing with the foxes this way. We should deal with them this way, and it's like conflict, and the t- two characters have different opinions, and it's like oh yeah, it's
3: great. yeah. What when I I mentioned the part about the mansplaining? This, so this is it's in the I think it's the fourth uh, installment here. These these girls have basically defeated giant monsters and three-eyed wolves and stone statues that fight them and they've just uh evaded some yetis and they're my favorite characters
1: in the book by the the way hipster yetis Yetis.
3: (laughs) and they're they're walking through the forest and they run into some boy scouts and the boy scouts say don't worry the scouting lads are here to lend a hand and it's just like we're gonna fix everything for you we're gonna show you how to make cookies also and and you're just like oh god oh here, here here is the actual patriarchy <laughs> that gwen was looking for um yeah. and it's i mean it's 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 funny because it's also true <laughs> you know and i i think that's you know I, I think it's really sort of the the blindness of what we've been taught of oh these are young women that are in the woods they must not have any way to combat the evil these men can come help them when these are you know badass girls who are you know are doing perfectly fine on their own um and it just like i this is the time at which julia normally says no i'm not surprised because this is what i've experienced my entire life <laughs>
1: yeah i mean well i mean i i yeah Oh, uh, what are you going to do? That's they, Again, these people exist. What a message. But, <laughs> but, yeah, the boys explaining things. I think there's actually more. I mean, you know there's more, but I, I'd like to parse it out a little bit to that scene because what happens is their evil scout leader comes in and then starts uh, basically oppressing the boys for making cookies. And this, right. I mean, ob- it's obviously done. But I also, one of my closest friends here is doing a Ph.D. on... Um, basically oppressive masculinity and how gender dynamics like hurt men as much as they hurt women so i was very interested to see that come up in the book as how disappointed uh the boys are to be told they can't make cookies and, and that comes mm-hmm. right at the end so i'm very curious to see how it plays out um but it's not like i wouldn't want people listening to this podcast To come away with the idea that like all the boys are presented as bad. They're presented as like trapped by an evil demon that is the patriarchy. It's like greenwash.
2: Yeah. Yeah.
1: Yeah. So it's really interesting and I can't wait to show my friend this book. She's probably read it and written a half her dissertation on it already. But yeah, it's (laughs) it's really cool. But I will say that was the most messagey part of the book. And I was a little disappointed when the boys came in. I was like, I could live in this girl world forever.
0: You knew it was bound to happen though cuz I had the same thought. I was like, really yeah. there's not going to be any male characters and then that the males are you know turning into werewolves. I,
1: I didn't think zombie. that once. I seriously did not <laughs> really? think. Really? Oh, oh, I was like boys. I was like No.
0: No, I thought th- I thought they were just going to have to play and they were going to have to acknowledge like other campers of some sort, you know. And then I was like <laughs> it's just it's just calling for an encounter which i'm so glad they had it and it's yeah. exactly what i wanted from
1: it. you're right just like how like stand by me really gets Here into like the girls
0: <laughs> yeah it's, in the world it's a and, major problem with uh, Me, man. there's, there's no women there's, there's, there's one woman the waitress yeah the waitress and then the mom We're, that's it yeah two lines it's yeah. so bad Who's letting cherry bombs out here? You're like,
3: oh. I just uh, just showed Stand By Me. um, We have this film series um, at UCR in the summertime called Lip Flicks where we show adaptations. And we showed Stand By Me. And I said at the end of the movie, you know, I just realized there's two women in this book and they share one line. Don't you find that shocking? And they were like, no, we don't really care. The audience said that. And I was like, but it's, you know, I mean, it's not an accurate portrayal of the world. And they're like, and the audience was a little older, I might add. Um, and uh, they were like, no, you know, some, some movies are just, boys just need to be boys in the boy world. It's like, okay, well, this is not the time or the place to have this conversation with the the country club set across the street. <laughs>
2: you should have told them about the Bechdel test.
3: and They, now, they would never after have... Learning a... about the
2: Bechdel test, I can't watch anything ever without trying to figure out whether it's passing or failing it, ever.
1: Nope. Yeah. And it's it's amazing what doesn't pass, you know?
2: Yes, it is. It's really shocking sometimes what doesn't pass. Um, Do all of your listeners know what the Bechdel test is? Is that something that's really self-evident?
1: I think we've talked about it, but we'll talk about it now. So the Bechdel test is, now, I am mildly obsessed with Alison Bechdel, so I happen to have just read... That um, she actually did not invent this test. It's something a friend oh. said to her, and then she put it in her comic Dykes to watch out for, uh, her comic strip, and uh, yeah. So she listeners, if they don't know of her already, they probably know her best from uh, her graphic novel Fun Home, which was just turned into a musical, which won just won best musical in the Tony. So it's, so it. it's so good. It's so good.
2: It's so good.
1: I saw it twice because when I heard that it was coming out, I was like, oh, well, this will probably be horrible and run for two weeks and close because how could this possibly be a musical? So I (laughs) I saw it right away, and then I saw it again after it had won. (laughs) Um, But anyway, the Bechdel test, uh, guys, it's so great. The next time you're in New York, you have to see it. it, It's three rules for a movie to see if a movie is feminist or not. Uh, Number one, there have to be two women in it. Number two, they have to talk to each other, and number three, they have to talk to each other about something other than a man. And it's, <laughs> it's so sad. It's so, it's so it's sad. <laughs> it, well, it's just amazing, yeah. like how many movies there are where there are a, a few women, but they never talk to each other. Like they can't even get to no. point two. No. Like I saw last night. I mentioned to you guys during the break. I watched Bill and Ted's Excellent Adventure, and there's some women in it, but none of them talk to each other. They're just there as people for Bill and Ted, which is well, probably I just, the best. Bill and Ted. I
3: just watched a Keanu movie the other night, which I loved, by the way, John Wick, and Wendy was watching with me too, and she's like, the, none of the women here serve any job other than to be pretty and to die. To die and I'm like, that, Oh, right. God. And I'm like, that's not true. Oh no, that's 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 entirely true. But the women no women ever speak to one another at all about anything other than one of the men. It's it's absolutely true. It's a yeah. Uh, it all changes it's with George. Funny. George is going to change the yeah. way that young people uh view media and then when we're all old everything will be better and we won't have anything to fight about and we'll look back on this time of President Trump with great humor.
0: <laughs>
1: <laughs> I will I mean, as we wrap up, that's that's horrible. That's a nightmare. But you know, I think between these two books, honestly, like which is the book that I think will change the world? I I think Lumberjanes. Uh, totally like, Lumberjanes. I
3: yeah. The Absolutely. idea,
1: the representation of many different kinds of people is so effective. And, and using humor, like humor is always going to win with kids. And humor is so much harder to do than an issues book. And that's why I think that I mean, I think George is really, really great for the time we're living in, but it'll be dated. But I think Lumberjanes will be a classic for 500 years. Yeah. Oh. Yeah. One of is the it...
2: characters in Lumberjanes, I actually didn't realize this, but I looked it up on Wikipedia before we were talking. And one of the characters in Lumberjanes is trans, which I think is really interesting and not something that is particularly brought out, at least in any way that I saw from reading it. And... I feel like that kind of activism, that sort of quiet, like in the background, and who knows, maybe it will be, mm-hmm. you know, sort of brought up later. But like just knowing that one of those characters is trans could really change the lives of the people reading it too, you know? Yeah, in a way that an issue book might not.
3: But it's not—is that clear in the first in what we read? Maybe, maybe not that it I saw. More clear. Did not, you guys see? either? No. no, but there's like 20 episodes, right? Or 20 right, issues. Right. For this? So
2: there might be something about it later. Who knows?
3: Well, and I don't know if this is true, but um, th- what I—the version I have has all the uh, different drawings, where some of the pictures are the the kids older, and yeah. I don't know if that represents the later cover art. No, yeah. it was just
0: different artists Ooh. doing their interpretations of the character. So ah, okay, yeah,
3: interesting. Yeah, that was that was also really cool seeing different yeah. artists' interpretations of it. That's I would really if I
0: was reading this
2: when I was eight, I would have plastered those all over my wall. Oh. I would have razored them oh, out yeah. of the book and put them up everywhere. <laughs> yeah. I also do have it I have it on Good Authority. My my colleague has an eight year old who an eight year old girl who loved this book. Like totally loves it. And I it's it's interesting. I kind of really wondered what a kid would think about George and what, like, a a younger kid yeah. and that thing that we were talking about with the pronouns, like, mm-hmm. how quickly they would notice that on the very first page, George is a she. Like, is that something that your average kid reader would notice, or is it something that would just sort of escape them until later in the book where they were like, oh, that's been happening the whole time.
3: Right. Oh, just so you guys know, because I had to find out, uh, 20th Century Fox is developing a Lumberjanes movie. Yeah,
0: that makes sense. Cool.
3: Yeah. Because there's no way it can't be a movie when, when you look at it. Yeah. Um, but who knows if it will ever see the screen, but I hope it does. But of course, if it does, it'll be completely neutered and, um, and it will not be great. Well, we you never know. You yeah, never that's know. true. Oh, it's a live action movie. Oh, I thought it was be a movie cartoon. Okay. It'll be more like the
1: Sisterhood of the Traveling Pants. It'll be more like that.
3: You know what movie I love? Fun. Speaking of that period, I love Hope Floats. Do
1: you guys, did you guys see Hope Floats? No.
3: This mm-hmm. is this is a conversation for another episode. Yeah, I, so. I love Hope Floats. Well,
1: it's 11:55 at night, and Todd's talking about Hope Floats, so I think we can declare you a feminist and call this episode a done deal
3: yeah thank you so much hey gwen yeah this is this is awesome thank you so much for coming on oh my gosh
2: thank you for having me this was so fun i loved it